Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're starting this series today called The Land Between, and it is about life's transitions, and specifically about those transitions or those moments in life where things uh, don't go as planned, right? where life suddenly takes a turn and we find ourselves not where we were and not where we want to be, but we're just kind of stuck in this in-between. That's the kind of space that we're talking about together. It's not the land before time. Okay, my wife was heckling me about that. She's like, that's all I can think of is like, what's his name, Littlefoot? Yeah, and Petrie, that was my guy, the little wing. Yep, showing my uh, elder millennial status there. But at any rate, uh, this is a series that I'm excited and I've wanted to do for a long time, honestly, because I think these moments can be so pivotal in our life and in our faith. These moments can really shape us. They can make us or break us in terms of the people that we become and what our faith really looks like, but it's a series that I've waited a few years to actually do uh, because of some wisdom that I received from one of my friends, a guy named Jason Miller, who leads South Bend City Church in South Bend, and uh, he, one time, it was at a leadership event, but he was just talking about people who do what I do and, and teach and talk about God, and he offered this principle that I just think is really powerful, whether it's as a parent or as a pastor or whatever. He said that we should teach from our scars, not from our wounds, in other words, there's kind of some danger if I get up here and I start like just spewing all my wisdom or opinions about the things that I haven't yet healed from, right? Some of the, some of the pain in my life. Because when we're in those painful spots in life, often we don't make super accurate judgments and super helpful conclusions. And so this is a series uh, that I've sat on because at this point in my life, I have lived through some land between seasons. And we're going to define that a little more specifically in just a little bit. But these moments uh, that can be really painful and really unsettling and really disruptive. And what I wanted to do is take some time to heal and to grow and to learn from those experiences before sharing what we're going to talk about today. And I, I want to acknowledge on the front side, um, this topic and the, these moments in our life, they can be some of the most difficult and some of the heaviest things that we go through. And so there may be kind of a, a heaviness uh, throughout just the subject matter that we're talking about today. If you're going through one of these seasons right now, I mean... Uh, we see you and we're with you and, and we want you to know that today. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's really important for us to talk about the real stuff of life. Like we don't want to be people here at Story who just put on our happy Christian face and acts like everything is all together. We want to be people who are faithful even in the difficult moments. People who acknowledge the real stuff of life and know that God can show up even in the midst of these seasons. And so this concept of the land between and the language that surrounds it, it's actually based on a book uh, that helped me through some of these difficult times called The Land Between. It's written by a guy named Jeff Mannion, who's a pastor up in Michigan. Uh, if you want to take this conversation a little further, it's a great book to check out. Uh, but I would be willing to bet all of us in life have had a moment in life where things suddenly went from good to bad, just like that. Right? It, it, maybe it's been a significant moment that, that you're still kind of recovering from, something really heavy, but on a lighter note, um, I was thinking about some of these moments in my life, and I remember driving back from college one winter uh, when it had just snowed out, and I was driving back. I went to Ball State, and I lived in Kokomo at the time, so it was about an hour drive. I was almost back, but it was real snowy everywhere, and I was trying to be careful and do my thing, and I was about to Greentown, so like not too far outside of Kokomo, and I remember I came up to this stop sign, and it was that like really tricky kind of snow that you think is just snow, but underneath there's that like hidden layer of ice. And so I'm like being safe, I've got a long distance to stop. I hit on my brakes, and suddenly 
I just do a 360. Like, I'm driving, everything feels fine, I'm gentle on the brake, I don't know what happened, but I'm just like, wee, here I go. And in the moment, I wasn't thinking wee, I was like, here we go, right, there goes my car, hopefully I'm safe. But I didn't go off the road, this is why it's a happy story that I can tell you, I didn't go off the road at all, there was no other traffic, I just did like a wee, <laughs> and then was straight again, and was like, okay, guess we'll just head on home. So, moments like this happen, right, where like, you're going in your direction, and then all of a sudden, it's like, nope, we're not, and thankfully, that one for me turned out well, but... Again, there's moments in life that do that to us, right? They throw us a curveball and we weren't ready for it. Uh, you're just cruising through life and then suddenly your path changes. You're just cruising in one direction and suddenly you get derailed and all of a sudden it's like, man, what happened? And it can happen in a single conversation, right? Like your department is no longer needed at this company. Your job's gone, right? It's just like that. There's been an accident. It can change in a moment. Hey, can you make it to the hospital? Grandma's had a stroke and we need you to get here. Like, these moments happen. The engagement's off. Your mom and I are getting a divorce. Like, we're moving. It can happen in a single conversation that life as you knew it is suddenly gone and you're left figuring out what's next. You're left figuring out how do you get from here to there and you're suddenly thrown into the world of unemployment or you're thrown into the world of suddenly single. Suddenly, you're thrown into the world of the ICU. You're using the vocabulary and the language of chemotherapy. Right? These diagnoses come up, and all of a sudden, it's like, we don't have answers, but we're trying to figure it out. Uh, suddenly, you're doing nursing home visits, and you're trying to find your bearings. These moments happen in life where one moment, life is good, and then the next, life seems like it's spinning, and we don't know which way is up. And man, for these moments, like, we always talk about, hey, do you remember where you were when JFK was shot or like 9-11 or these big moments? But there are moments that happen in life, particularly when we get thrust into the land between where we just remember those moments, right? Where normal suddenly went away. I can remember a moment where my mom showed up on my doorstep to let me know that my grandma had passed away unexpectedly. And it's one of those like before and after. I was sitting on the couch watching TV and all of a sudden there's a knock on the apartment door. And I was like, there's mom. It was one of those moments. Many of us have moments where we remember everything changed. And that space between where you were and where you want to be is what we're calling the land between. Life is full of unwanted transitions where life is not as it once was and where the future is going seems uncertain and so life is likely not as it will be either. And we can just feel lost in it. And sometimes it happens quickly like I'm talking about. It happens in a moment. Other times it happens over years. Other times it's a slow erosion of time that takes place where maybe over months and, and years, your teenager's heart just seemed to kind of drift away from you. And you just are left looking back like, what happened? Right? Maybe you can see the pictures of her when she was 12 and you're like, man, she was so joyful and we were so connected. And then years have gone by and you're just like, what happened? Right? How did we get here? You're still in that same land between in that situation. Month over month. Right? Sales figures just dropped. Month over month, you just saw the reports and you're like, it's not good, it's not good. And suddenly your friends are getting laid off. And then the company that was built in 10 years collapses in 10 months. And you're lost. A marriage suffers over dozens of years, just in subtle little ways, until somebody finally walks. See, the land between, it can happen in a single conversation, it can happen in a single moment, or it can happen very gradually over time. But either way, we end up in the same place. We end up in the same 
terrain and in the land between, regardless of how we enter it, we all wonder how we're going to get through it, right? We all wonder how we can navigate it well. And the bad news today, if it's not feeling bad enough, the bad news today is that for all of us in the room, you either have been in the land between, you are in the land between right now, or you will be in the land between at some point in the future because none of us gets through life missing out on this, right? Nobody gets a perfect record and nobody escapes life without some serious and some difficult things happening that we have to navigate. But the good news today is that if you find yourself navigating the land between, you're not alone. And in fact, there's actually a place on the map where you can find yourself in the land between. And it looks like this. Maybe you're like, Eric, that is not Peru, okay? I'm aware. And it's going to be a metaphor that guides us throughout here. But you can find yourself in this place. This is the map of the Sinai Desert. And I know there's a lot of info on there that you don't need. If you get bored with me, you can like read the map behind me. That's fine. Uh, this is a picture of what happened in the exodus of God's people. And you can see in the middle, right? You are here. And how do things look? Pretty brown, right? Like, it, it looks pretty deserty. It looks pretty dry. It doesn't look like there's a lot happening there. And that's the Sinai Desert. But if you look over to the left side, right, you see all that green, all that goodness. It says Goshen. You go on down. That's the land of Egypt. That's the Nile River that runs through there. And this area, uh, it's the area where one of the first great empires of the world was forged because the land was so fertile and so lush and, and, and things just grew there. And so life happened around the Nile and Egypt became this great nation. And that's on the left side of our screen. If you go over to the right, it's less obvious. But if you look up in that corner where it looks like we're talking about beer, uh, that's Beersheba. <laughs> and if we kept going a little bit north, you would see the land of Canaan. And again, you can see, like right at the edge of the map, there's that green showing up again. This is land that God referred to his people as the promised land, right? We've probably heard of that, the land of milk and honey, the land where everything is as it ought to be and where everything should be. And this map in the story that surrounds it is going to be our guide for the next three weeks. As we talk about how we can navigate our land between moments, we're going to look at the moment in the history of God's people, where they navigated the land between because they found themselves in this space. Again, on the left side, there's the land of Egypt where they once were. And God shows up and he calls them out of the land of Egypt and he promises them they're going to arrive in the promised land. But right in the middle, they're stuck for years. And even if you don't know the Bible very well, you probably know at least some of this story. Um, again, if you're kind of from my generation, maybe you remember the Prince of Egypt movie. You got the soundtrack blasting still when you want to feel a little nostalgic along the ways. Uh, I never really got into the Prince of Egypt, to be honest. For me, uh, my parents and my grandparents would always, especially around Easter time, right, you turn on the TV and what is on? The Ten Commandments, where Moses looks like Charlton Heston as he should, right? In fact, uh, my, my family were kind of weird and sometimes we like grab onto little phrases from movies and anytime that movie was on or it came up or we were talking about it, Half the time when we were in Sunday school, one of us would just be like, Moses, Moses, because that's kind of what Miriam sounds like, right, in those big dramatic movies back then. But uh, at any rate, you probably heard something about the story of Moses. It's a story that's recorded at the very beginning of Scripture. There's Genesis, God creates everything, and it's good, and then it's not good, <laughs> and like a chapter later, it all falls apart. Sin enters the world, and brokenness enters the world, but God stays committed to trying to redeem his people. And so even though the world gets broken, God says, hey, I'm going to raise up a people. I'm going to raise up a nation that are going to exist to bless every other nation, to bless the entire world. And so he starts that through this man 
named Abraham, and he creates this people who eventually grow to become a nation of Israel, and then eventually that nation becomes enslaved by Egypt for generations. They're taken from their home. They're enslaved in Egypt. They build uh, bricks for Pharaoh to be able to do his big building projects. And, And so they're there in the land of slavery, in the land of Egypt. But remember, it was also this lush and flourishing land where they had all kinds of food to eat, where they had access to all kinds of different things. And so uh, the people are enslaved in this lush land. And eventually, God shows up to this shepherd named Moses. And there's a whole lot more to his story, okay? It's recorded uh, mostly around Exodus 3, or at least it starts there, if you want to check it out. Uh, But God shows up to the shepherd named Moses. And he shows up not like wearing sandals in a robe, but he shows up in a burning bush. It's this bush that's burning but never consumed, so this fire. And Moses sees it, and he doesn't know what he's seeing. He's just like, what, what is that? And he actually takes off his sandals because he's like, this, there's something happening here. Right? This, is, this is holy ground. And God says through this burning bush that I've seen my people and I've heard their cries and I am concerned. And Moses is probably like, it's about time. I mean, it's been generations. We've been stuck here. It's about time that you heard us. And then God says, and I'm going to send you to lead them. And Moses goes, no, me? Uh Uh-uh. He's like, you don't understand. I have a stutter. And God's like, it's fine. I'll be with you. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. Like, I don't know how to do this. And God's like, I'll be with you. And he's like, look, all I have is this shepherd's staff. And God's like, it's a cool staff, man. Like, we're going we're gonna to put it to work. It's going to be good. So, so God says, hey, I am going to take my people out of the land of slavery and into the land that I've promised to your forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Again, these generations of promise. But what God does not mention is the land between. Okay, God makes this promise to to Moses and to the people, and he says, hey, I'm going to lead you out of slavery, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land. And the people are like, okay, out of slavery sounds good. Promised land sounds really good, right? I'm in. They're all for it. And then in the Exodus story, as it's recorded in Numbers, it's a little tricky. It's in Exodus, but it's also in the book of Numbers in the Bible. And in Numbers, God's people find themselves stuck in the land between. And at the point that we're going to pick things up, it's been about two years of wandering through the desert. And maybe if you're tracking with me, like you're asking yourself, man, two years in the desert? Like how did they survive out there? What did they eat? I'm so glad you asked. Because uh, one key detail throughout this story is that there was this food substance that God provided for his people in the midst of the desert, and it was called manna. And it's this cool moment, right? The people are trapped in the wilderness. They're trapped in the land between. They don't know where they're going, but God is still showing up. He's like, hey, I'm going to provide for you anyway. And sometimes I think we romanticize this idea of manna. If you're familiar with the story at all, uh, oftentimes manna represents for us God's provision in our lives, even in those wilderness seasons. But manna, uh, fascinatingly enough, in the actual Hebrew, literally translates to, what is it? Because... (laughs) God's people, they went out in the desert one day and they're like, what is it, right? What is this stuff that God has provided for us? And it makes me think of a little kid trying a new food for the first time, right? They're like, "Mm, I don't know, what is it? And you explain it and they're like, "Mm." and then they try it after like a half hour of the battle back and forth. And they're like, hey, it's good. 
Maybe I should trust you. Anyway, that's kind of what God's people were doing. And what happened is the dew would be there in the morning and these flaky little seeds would show up. And the people would go out and they would gather the seeds and they would grind it and they would boil it into a pot. And for me growing up as a kid, hearing this story, whenever I pictured whatever manna must have looked like, I pictured this, good old cream of wheat, which my dad loved to eat for breakfast. And so for me, it was like the perfect image because cream of wheat is this magical substance that starts out as a powder, right? And you put it in a bowl and you dump it and you add your milk or your water, whatever, you put it in the microwave and there it is. It's like fluffy powder. And so I, I loved it. I would dump sugar into it. A pro tip is if you like really like cream of wheat, but you kind of like the texture of it too, if you like slightly underdo it on the liquid, you get these like little crumbly balls in there that like show up and it's like, ooh, little surprise. So if you're interested, that was free today. Uh, but that's kind of what I pictured manna was like. And so in the morning, the people would go out and they would pick up the cream of wheat or the what is it, and, and they would pick it up. And the text tells us in Numbers 11 that the manna was like coriander seed and it looked like resin. And the people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar, like a mortar and pestle. And they cooked it in a pot and they made it into loaves. Other translations say into cakes, which I think I like a little better. They say it tasted like something made with olive oil. And then when the dew settled in the camp at night, the manna also came down. So these two times a day, God provided for the people. Manna would show up in the morning. Manna would show up in the evening. And so for two years, they've been wandering. And they're eating this stuff and cooking this stuff day after day after day after day. And how many of you guys remember Forrest Gump? You guys remember Bubba? Right, and they're, they're doing their thing, and he starts talking about shrimp. And he's like, man, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. And in case you've forgotten, check out this clip. You can barbecue it, boil it, brawl it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan-fried, deep-fried, stir-fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp. Shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's, that's about it. That's how I picture the Israelites feeling about manna, okay? Because they had these years that they're just wandering and they're eating the same thing, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they're like, you can boil it, you can mash it, you can stick it in a stew, you can saute it, you can do whatever. And it's the, still the same stuff right? Time and time again. They've been in the land between for two years, and they are sick of manna. And when I say sick of it, uh, check out what happened in the manna riots of the Sinai Desert recorded in the book of Numbers. And I've got to read this in kind of a whiny voice, okay? So I apologize, but I'm going to channel my inner like three-year-old. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, mm, those leeks, right? The, the onions and the garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this, what is it, right? This manna, we're sick of this stuff. It feels like dinner time with my five-year-old, like when you're reading this, right? Like, ah, this again. And listen, I think there's something that happens in us reflexively, at least if you're like me, when we read passages like that, where it's obvious that God's people are behaving badly, right? We read them and, and they're complaining and they're grumbling and we're like, come on guys, like God's providing for you. Like, 
How petty are they? How can they possibly act like that? These people are babies. And, and here's what I would challenge you to do. When you ever encounter, if you're reading through scripture, and, and you bump into a passage where God's people seem to be behaving badly, what if instead of placing ourselves over the characters in judgment, like, I would never, how could they? What if instead we actually came alongside them and put ourselves in their shoes? Because I would be willing to bet if we do that, instead of saying, well, I would never, we'll get to a place where we realize, you know, given the right conditions, I would be losing it too. And in fact, have you ever gone through a season of shortage of, in your life where maybe you just didn't have the resources that you once did, and so you just ate the same thing over and over and over again because it was cheap? If uh, you ever were college age, okay, and you don't remember, let me refresh your memory, okay, remember? Yeah, ramen, right? We, we couldn't afford anything else. You used to be able to get seven of those bad boys for a dollar when they were on sale, and you would grab it, and you would like, make sure, they're not that bad, at least not when you don't eat them every single day, but you had to make sure it wasn't too soggy, but also not still crunchy, and so you'd put your little seasoning packet on it, and it was chicken or beef or whatever you picked out. And some of us, we lived off this stuff for years, right? Because it was cheap, because we could afford to. And some of us got to that point where you resented it, right? You're like, you're at the grocery store, and you're looking at the other options. There's like a rotisserie chicken down the aisle, and you got your ramen, and you crumble the wrapper, and you're like, put it in there, right? You're checking out. I can remember uh, my senior year of college. Uh, I was getting ready to propose to my wife, but I first had to save up enough money to be able to afford an engagement ring. So my strategy was I would skip lunch half the time, or when I ate lunch, uh, I wasn't a ramen guy. I was a cup of noodle guy because it was in a styrofoam cup. It was very efficient. You just added water and worked your way to a heart attack because there is so much sodium in those things. But you would eat it, and the sodium would just like fill you up. You wouldn't need to eat for like another week. You would waste your time in the bathroom. So it was like a two for one deal. Uh, but man, I can remember getting to a point, right? And I'm trying to save this money. I'm trying to do something good here, something that I believe in. And I got to that point where I'm like, I resent the taste of this stuff. I resent the smell of this stuff. Even the sound of that wrapper popping off the top. I'm like, it would crinkle and I would rage inside, right? Because I had to eat it every day. So imagine breakfast, lunch, dinner, repeat for two years. You're eating the same thing. And I think you can get a sense of where the Israelites are at at this point. And, and you would think, because it's in the desert, right, that nothing would grow there. But the truth about the land between is that the land between is fertile ground for complaint. The, the land between in our lives, like when we end up in one of these situations where life is not as we expected it to be and we don't know where life is going, it's like a greenhouse for complaint to grow. And if you have ever traveled through this space, if you've ever had one of these moments, listen to see if your voice doesn't resonate with theirs. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of getting to the end of the month and deciding what bills to pay and what bills not to. I'm sick of sending out resumes only to get a hundred no's back, polite no's back. I'm sick of visiting the nursing home. I'm sick of that we have to go here, that, that we're even here at all. I'm sick of going to that hospital, right? I'm sick of test after test after test with no answers. Here's the thing. The land between is fertile ground for complaint to show up. And one thing we can acknowledge is that that is completely normal. And in some ways, it's even a healthy reaction to be able to express 
our frustration, to be able to express our uncertainty and to have those moments. So I'm not suggesting that the answer to the land between is to just stuff it down and be a happy Christian all the time. Okay, I think that it's good to have healthy relationships that can handle the good and the bad, where we can really be honest, uh, even if we're not reverent. I think God can actually handle that, that God wants your honest heart more than he wants your perfect religion. And yet at the same time, right, we have permission to feel what we need to feel in these moments. And at the same time, we have to guard our hearts because it can be so easy to drift and to dwell on these bitter feelings and on, on these complaints. And when we do that, it produces something in our hearts. See, the land between, it can be the space where God builds something new in us, where God teaches us how to get to where we're going, or it can be the place where resentment takes hold of us. It can be the place where we complain and where we grow bitter and it takes root in us and it hijacks God's plans for us. And maybe you're like, man, how big of a deal is a little complaining, right? For some of you, you're like, this is my family's currency. We just complain back and forth and it's how we get along with one another. How bad is complaining really? In the Israelites' case, it was incredibly serious. In fact, I think I mentioned, we're gonna stick with this same story for all three weeks of this series. But by the time we get to the end of the story, uh, Moses actually offers correction to these complaining people wandering in the desert. And what he says to them is, you have rejected the Lord. Right? You're not just complaining about manna. You've rejected God. And you've asked, why did we ever leave Egypt? And in complaining about the manna and complaining about this, what is it that we're eating every single day? There was something in the people's spirit that were saying, you know what? We were better off in Egypt. We were better off back there. We were better off as slaves. And essentially what the people were saying is we were better off without God. Right? God drew us out here, but we were better off back there. They've been here for two years. And at this point, they've got the Ten Commandments, right? Charles came down from the mountain and he's like, and they built a tabernacle, which if you think the sphere in Las Vegas is cool, this is like a tent, but God was in it, so that's cool. And so they had this worship space, and then after two years, right, they've done all this stuff, God's moving, and they're still saying, you know what, it's better back there. It was better as slaves. It was better in the mud, making those bricks, possibly being whipped today. Like, it was better back there. And it's a big deal because they're essentially saying to God, hey, we're better off without you. We're better off without you. It was this act of cosmic treason right, where they're like, no, we're better on our own. And complaints can be just as dangerous in our lives if we feed them. It can lead to bitterness, it can lead to resentment, it can cause us to have this outlook on life that we never intended to have, right? It's just a little bit over time suddenly becomes the way that we are. And so here's what I want you to think about. Like, why was the land between necessary for God's people? God said, hey, I'm gonna take you out of slavery, I'm gonna bring you into the promised land, but why did they wander? Why was the land between necessary? Well, it's because unlike what the movies show us, when the people left Egypt, they were leaving generations of slavery, which means there were kids who were just born into the system. The culture and the world and the way that they knew was the culture of slavery. And so when they're walking out and like they're crossing through the Red Sea and all the amazing stuff's happening, they were not a well-organized group of God worshipers. Okay, they were way more former slave than they were people of God. They were probably still influenced by the idols that they worshiped as slaves in Egypt. And, and they were just all indoctrinated in that way of living. And so they exit Egypt as former slaves, not yet as the people of God. And the land between was the space where God intended to transform them, to transform them from the people of slavery to the people of God who dwell in the promised land. 
They were in the desert for a reason because God wanted to forge something new in them. God wanted to create something in them. And do you know what that something is? It's trust. God wanted to create trust in them because trust is the glue that holds any relationship together. Trust is the glue that helps us relate to one another. And God, throughout this whole story, is essentially asking his people again and again, hey, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And they keep responding, no, we won't. No, we won't. No, we won't. One of the first times they encounter it, uh, they're attacked by Pharaoh near the Red Sea. They've just kind of crossed over, and the people immediately turn to Moses, and they're like, didn't we tell you to just leave us in Egypt? <laughs> like, it's instant. They turn on him. Uh, church leaders, I feel like, identify with Moses in a lot of ways because he's like, let's go this way, God said, and then the people are like, why did you do that? And it's just, it's kind of self-soothing. But anyway, the people turn, and they travel three days into the desert with no water after that. It's a serious situation, right? You don't want to be trapped in the desert, uh, especially three days in with no water. And then finally, they find water, but it's undrinkable. So they do their default. They complain about it. They're like, Moses, how did you get us into this mess? Then they travel a little farther into the desert, and they run out of food. And God starts to deliver. He provides for them. He brings the manna to them. And here's how the people respond. In Exodus 16, they say this. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, talking to Moses, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Complain, 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 right? We were better off back there. We were better off without God, and we were better off without you, Moses. Oh, and then there's a water shortage right after that. And guess what the people do? They complain. The text says this one chapter later. It says the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And so when we get to them complaining about the manna in Numbers 11 that we looked at earlier, it's not their first offense. Okay, it's round after round after round where something happens and the people complain. Something happens and the people complain and God is essentially saying, will you trust me in this situation? And the people are like a record that's got a scratch in it you know, like vinyl records, if you listen to it, and it gets scratched, and it just repeats that same section over and over again. That's why we call it like a broken record. And again and again, they're saying, no, we won't. And God says, will you trust me? And they say, no, we won't. At the last water episode that happens, God actually asks Moses to take that cool staff that he had, and he asks him to whack it against a rock to bring water out, which, if you don't know, is not how rocks and water typically work, okay? <laughs> like that, you're not going to find it if you try it typically at home. Uh, but what God is doing there is he's basically asking Moses, do you believe I can bring something out of nothing? Do, do you believe that I can bring life, like water that, that leads to life, out of death, out of nothing? Do you believe that I can do it? And the people time and time again said, no. No, we don't. No, we don't. And so the very events that God intended to grow trust grew complaint in the people. And here's why we're talking about this today. Because the very same thing can be true for us in the land between. And, and I want to be really careful how I talk about this because there are terrible things that happen to us in life that I don't think God wants to happen. I'm not saying like everything bad that happens was God trying to teach you some lesson. That can be a really dangerous way to live and a really dangerous way to view God. But what I am saying is that there are times God wants to form something in us. And, and so we get stretched and we get challenged and we find ourselves in the land between. And we can be just as tempted to grow complaint rather than grow trust. And I want to challenge you with this question. 
especially if you're in one of these seasons right now, what if the space that you detest the most has the potential to produce the fruit that you most desperately need? Right? What if that space that you're in right now that you're like, I, just, I can't stand it, right? I'm sick of it, I want out of it, what if it has the potential to produce the thing in you that you most desperately need and maybe most desperately have wanted? What if the very event that you detest is the space that was supposed to be the greenhouse for your transformational growth? When we get thrust into these situations, the land between is the space where we learn dependence. And that means the land between is fertile ground for trust to grow as well. The land between can be the space where complaint grows, but it can also be the space where trust grows. And the difference is the choices we make in our heart. The difference is the way that we choose to view the things that are happening to us. There's a common phrase that gets thrown around a lot, that time heals all wounds. That's not true. I like what John Lennon said, that time wounds all heals. That's more true. Okay, but time doesn't heal all wounds because some people choose to heal and some people choose resentment. Right? Some people get better as they go through these things and some people just get bitter. Some people choose trust, and some people choose complaint. And what we choose in these moments shapes who we become on the other side. We can get stuck in the land between if we feed complaint, if we feed bitterness, if we feed resentment. But we also might discover we can grow on the other side if we trust God, if we open up to God. The land between can become transformational for who we become. And I mentioned at the beginning of this that I've waited a couple years uh, to do this series because of kind of a season that I went through. And man, as I think about just the land between and where it can lead you to, I certainly did not get this season perfect in any stretch of the imagination, but throughout the years of 2019 into 2021, it was like cascading, before COVID even, it was just like little crisis in my personal life after little crisis in my personal life. I've, I've shared some of this before, but... It was like nothing I had experienced up to that point in life. Uh, in May of 2019, my grandpa passed away, uh, and then we had to navigate that, and I officiated the funeral, and it was just kind of chaotic trying to figure that out. Uh, fast forward a couple of months. In November of 2019, my four-year-old puppy that I loved and still love, like that dog, we had like soul-level connection. We kind of started to look alike. You know, that happens with animals. It had only been four years, but like we would give each other the same look. Uh, that dog in the course of three days, I thought she had eaten a bird because she was throwing up because that's what beagle dogs do, right? So I was like, you ate something, I took her to the vet. And then next thing you know, they're keeping her overnight and they think it's something with her liver. And then by Monday morning, it's cancer. And I drove through the first snow of 2019 down to Carmel and I dropped her off at an emergency vet and it was gonna be thousands of dollars to maybe buy her a year. And so we said goodbye to my dog out of nowhere. Uh, in December of that year, my car like launched its tire off while I was driving it. That was just kind of due to my own gross negligence, but it was exciting, especially with my daughter in the car. So it was like this stressful, okay, now we got to figure out a car and we got to buy that. And in January, my mom had what should have been routine gallbladder surgery that almost got to the point of being life-threatening. And, and so there was all this chaos surrounding that. We're into 2020 now, so you know what happened then, right? Uh, and by the way, the context, I kind of skipped over some of you lived through this with us, our church merged with another church in the midst of that. And, and so my work world, which is a big deal to all of us, right, it was upside down, and I was just spinning from it. Right? I, I was trying to lead 
but I was in the land between because I knew we weren't where we were. We weren't, we weren't where we once were in, in all these situations. And there's things I couldn't change. There's things I couldn't control. But I didn't know where we were going. And, and I was like, oh, and God, where are you? And what am I supposed to do? And every time I wanted some type of a clear answer, I feel like I got some kind of squishy maybe answer <laughs> from God. And it was difficult. And 2021, I mean, again, we've talked about it. Story Church is birthed out of some of this story, which is an amazing thing. Um, I lost a good friend at the start of that year. But man, when I'm on this side of the story, I'll tell you what, I am a better pastor because of what I went through in those years. Before 2019, like Pastor Eric, little punk campus pastor who was thought he was the big shot, right? I knew so much more than I know now, and I cared less. I had more answers, and I had less compassion. I had less empathy and understanding, because as I've gone through the land between, now when I walk through difficult things with other people, I have an understanding. Maybe not fully, right? We're all different. Our situation, our circumstances are all different. But I, I'm able to understand. God, God grew something in me through that. And guess what? I didn't want it at the time. Okay, in fact, I think I've told this before, but towards the tail end of the season, I went and talked to a counselor because I was trying to navigate all this stuff and I'm not that skilled and none of us are. And so I talked to this counselor and she told me, this sweet Christian lady, she's like, well, I think God may be teaching you how to grieve. And I did like the right thing externally, like the little Christian moo where I'm like, hmm, good, yeah. But on the inside, I was like, well, I wish you'd quit it, right? Like, I get it now. I'm good. I'm doing it. Like, but man, here's the lesson for all of us from the land between. It's that you don't always get to choose what happens to you, but you do get to choose how you respond. You don't get to choose what happens to you in life, but you do get to choose how you respond. And for some of us, if we're honest, because life's hard and because this stuff's painful and that, that, that's difficult, for some of us, negative responses to the land between have become our default, right? Something happens and we get bitter out of the gate. We've made it like our specialty to criticize or, or to just dwell in it. That's like our coping mechanism. Some of it's, it's like when the waiter comes to the table and, and he asks what kind of salad dressing you want and you're just like ranch because you're a Hoosier, right? That, that's, that's what we do. There's other options, you know? In fact, if you ask them, they've got a whole list of salad dressings and they'll, they'll rattle them off. But some of us, we're just like ranch because that's, that's what we do. Sometimes we do the same thing with how we respond to life circumstance, right? Something happens, it's anger, right? It's, it's, it's isolating, it's depressing and withdrawing. And I don't mean like clinical depression, that's not a sin and that's not something that you cause, okay? But, but I'm talking about the kind that we choose where it's like, no, I don't wanna feel it. I don't wanna go there. So I'm just gonna stay home and I'm gonna Netflix and just zone out or whatever it is. And we do the same thing with complaint. And some of us have made that choice for so long, it doesn't feel like a choice anymore. But it is. It is always a choice. And so friends, if you find yourself in the land between or the next time you find yourself in the land between, what if you chose trust instead of complaint? And let me be clear to you. I don't mean like blind, happy Christian trust that's just like, God has a plan, nothing else matters. Da, da, da. That's not authentic to how we experience life, right? Uh, that, that's like an inch deep kind of response. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the kind of trust that says this is painful, right? Like, I don't have answers. God, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm going to choose to believe anyway. 
Right? I'm going to choose to try and find you. I'm going to choose to try and understand where you could be taking this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to withdraw and be bitter. I'm going to lean into people around me who might help me see you, God. Right? I, I'm going to lean in. Complaint comes to us naturally. Trust is always a choice. And your response, it's not out of your control. Your response to the things that happen to you in life, it is not out of your control. And you can actually minimize the role of complaint and bitterness in your life when you choose to trust again and again and again. But here's the point as we're starting this conversation today is that the land between can become a greenhouse for transformational growth or it can become the place where faith goes to die. And the difference is how we choose to respond to the things that happen. And how do we do that? We'll talk more about it next week. So let me pray for you. God, uh, I want to pray for my friends here today who know the land between. My friends who maybe are in the midst of it right now, or maybe they've just left it, or maybe it's one of those rare cases where they see it coming, right? And they know the weight of it. They know the difficulty of it. They know the uncertainty of it. They know the anxiety that comes with just wondering, where are you and what are you doing and what am I supposed to do in the midst of all of it? And God, I pray that you would just absolutely pour out your compassion on them, that you would let them know that you know the land between two and that you're not wasting it, but that you're actually always leveraging the things that happen in our lives for our good and for your glory. And so God, I pray that we could become people when we go through these moments in life who choose not to complain, who choose not to grow bitter, but instead make the defiant choice to choose to trust you to choose to find joy where there doesn't seem to be joy. That we would become people who embody this big faith and that in stepping out in faith, you would grow our faith and you would transform us even through the most difficult, I don't want it kind of seasons of our life. So God, this is incredibly difficult for us to do and we're asking for your help in the midst of it. Help us navigate this land that we could follow you more faithfully. We pray and ask all of that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.